Global Diplomacy Lab. Coffee Break. With Khaldun Asadi. Welcome to the GDL Coffee Break podcast, where we introduce you once again to the work and ideas of inspiring experts within the Global Diplomacy Lab network. Before we dive into this episode, I want to apologize for any background noises you might hear. I'm recording this episode close to a vibrant train station due to work travel, but uh, that won't dampen our excitement. This episode will be again packed with insight into the work routines, perspectives on global challenges and sources of inspiration from our wonderful guest. Enjoy your coffee or whatever hot or cold beverage you prefer along the way. And as always, please consider the show notes as they provide further information on the topics raised. With me today is Patrick Mpetzizi. He is a highly experienced consultant in organizational development with over 21 years of expertise in the African NGO sector, particularly Kenya, Zimbabwe and South Africa. He has facilitated regional participation for civil society organizations, managed significant projects and led campaigns, all while enhancing their capacities and strategies. Patrick's focus lies in programmatic and strategic improvements, advocacy, policy engagement, resource mobilization, sustainability. He also possesses expertise in change management and evaluation, serving as the General Secretary of the Zimbabwe Evaluation Association. I'm interested in what that organization is and holds co-founder status at Nahari and founder status at mitupu.org. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited, Patrick, and it's great to have you on board in the GDL Coffee Break podcast. Hi. Hi, Kaldun. Um, great to uh, also chat with you. I'm also excited to talk to um, who's ever listening. It's an incredible portfolio that you have. And how do you juggle all those responsibilities in terms of your work routines? Maybe you can introduce us to them. Well, I think a lot of it is because of consulting um, and also that um, initially I actually did work in a number of organizations, um, starting with the youth movement, um, where we did a lot of work in terms of getting young people's voices into uh, regional discourses, uh, particularly around the African Union and also in some of the regional economic communities. After that, I um, also worked with different types of organizations, including a funding organization, including a regional democracy organization linked to the World Movement for Democracy. So through that, you get a lot of experience. But once you become a consultant, you then begin to work with a multiplicity of different types of civil society, uh, particularly in my case, even though I've even worked with trade unions, I've worked with a few insurance companies. But that entire experience means that the breadth of your exposure is a lot wider than if you were working in one organization. And um, one of my clients ended up asking me also to be part of their board. And that's how I became the Secretary General of the Zimbabwe Evaluation Association, which particularly worked works to professionalize the area of evaluation within the country and is linked to a number of evaluation associations in the region and also uh, globally. But also through facilitation and ironically through GDL, I um, 
together with uh, another GDL, uh, Elizabeth Maloba, we met sometime in 2018 to see how we could actually collaborate together across the continent. And with mm-hmm. two other founders, we came up with Nahari. So that continues to be a vehicle through which I can pursue some of my more long-term goals around my uh, consultancy. I think we definitely should include some information on those organizations in the show notes so that our listeners can get even more information out of that. But I still want to pinpoint you to this incredible portfolio that you have and just want to ask you, how do you structure your workday when you have so many responsibilities? Like, how do you wake up and know what's important today? Like, how do you get your stuff done? Well, some of the work is seasonal. Consultancy has its peak times and its low times. But like I mentioned, the work that we do in Nahari, for instance, is closely linked to my consultancy work. So in some areas, um, I do facilitation on behalf of Nahari. But also what we do with Nahari is we combine our efforts so that it is easier because when you work together with a lot more, with that a lot more people, it, um, you actually can do a lot more. So instead of focusing primarily on my own energies towards that, I focus on how um, how to collaborate with others, but also how to facilitate for others to do the same. And being a board member usually takes about three hours of your week, unless there are some particularly burning issues. But these three hours are not consistent. So sometimes you have a week where it's a lot more busy and sometimes it's a lot less. But obviously in terms of scheduling, and um, I have to to be honest that I'm quite happy uh, with uh, some of our modern technology, which allows us to schedule meetings and and um, keep track of what you're doing at any given time. But every week when it starts... I have to sit down, look at my priorities and say, okay, this is what I'll be able to do this week and this is what I need to prioritize. Do you have a productivity hack or a favorite tool that you use to keep track of all your duties? Well, I'm actually one of the more simpler people, I guess, because I use Google Calendar quite significantly, but also because I use a Mac. Mac also has its own calendar, and and for some reason they sync together. But, I mean, I've tried to use uh, Monday. I've tried to use um, quite a number, but I, I, I sometimes just fall back to the simpler ones. Um, and in my case, I guess the free one. So <laughs> yeah, it's not a major hack, but I, I think this, even though technology is important, um, I still think the human aspect is, is, is the key one. Because if I use my Sunday uh, evenings to look at what my calendar looks like, I still from a human point of view, determine what is important. And that is when the calendar is told rather than the calendar telling me what I should do. That's a great insight. I like that. And it's also, I think, so important, you know, to just acknowledge that it's not about having the latest tool. It's about having a workflow that suits one own work routines, one own, one's own personality so so thank you so much for that insight i want to head over to our next topic which is about global challenges and i realized that it seems like every gdl member that i'm talking to and they come from all over the world have 
their own view on global challenges, the topics that are important to them. And I wonder, what is the topic in terms of global challenges that is important to you, Patrick? Well, I think global challenges by nature are perceived sometimes from a contextual point of view. So depending on when you ask the question and to who you're asking the question, you're obviously going to get a different response. Or, um, yeah, And even in my case, sometimes <laughs> I see one challenge more present or more dire, and then other days it's a different one. But maybe I think at the point that we're doing this recording, one of the things that has remained constant in in what I've observed, is really inequality. Inequality within countries, inequality across countries, across continents and across regions. It's a particularly cross-cutting challenge in that, even when we look at how multilateral um, institutions govern themselves, who makes what decisions for who, you can see a lot of inequality in it. Um, when we're looking in terms of who has and who has not and how they have and how they don't have, again, you see a lot of inequality with that. But even when we look at who determines where the globe is supposed to go, what are the future challenges, who determines, you know, if you do a foresight exercise as a global community, you can actually see that uh, the determination of uh, what are the possibilities is still dominated by certain inequalities. Um, even when we get to AI, what you talked about um, just uh, uh, recently, the inequalities around that, who creates data, who determines what is good data and uh, what is bad data, etc., etc. So to me, that's like a constant that's always there. And I think it's also important for me but from a facilitator point of view, because sometimes you're in a room and you can see the various inequalities. And it's, again, around different idiosyncrasies and demographics which brings me to the second thing which I think I kind of been reminded about it because I even wrote a paper about this over 12 years ago which is the management of diversity I particularly uh, look at it also from an, in, from the lens of uh, indigenous communities and uh, coming from a continent that has over 10,000 different communities. And um, we have so many wars, so many disagreements, so many challenges, even in our governance. And you can see that an overriding theme around that is how we actually manage our diversity. This is also now creeping into the north because when you look at uh, what migration has done to the picture of Europe, to the picture of America, and how it can even begin to affect voting patterns, not only in terms of the issues, but also in terms of who votes and what are their rights in voting, etc. Et it goes back to that issue. How do we manage diversity? Because diversity should not necessarily be something that holds us back or brings us down or something that we should fear. It should actually be something that we should embrace and we should seek to find the best ways to make Make the best use of it. So again, the management of diversity is something that I see as a critical issue going forward for our global community. What is it for you as a facilitator that you consider when facilitating and trying to manage diversity? What are the things that you focus on? What are the things that are important to you in, let's say, diverse settings? Well, 
There were quite a number because the first is to actually consider whether the space you're actually hosting or holding is um, a space that is perceived equally by all people present. So, so before you even go into the people themselves, the participants that are there, the actual space, is it conducive for a, of a diversity of people? Then when you get into the diversity, you have to consider the kind of people who are in there, who is present, and who can they speak on behalf of or who can they speak on. So on one end, what managing diversity means is you get the right representatives for the right people. But on the other hand, you accept that as human beings, we have multiple identities. And how do we allow those multiple identities to bring out diverse views and diverse opinions and then the the terms of engagement they are different certain communities prefer to communicate or to engage after certain practices or or habits that they do while others are more like no 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 we just want to get to the issue what do we do and what do we address and and you have to also take into account what that diversity then means in terms of how you reach certain types of agreements or how you get there. So diversity is not just about the numbers. Once you get to the numbers, you have to figure out what those numbers mean in terms of equity, in terms of how you include those uh, different perspectives. And as a facilitator, one of your key roles is to try and ensure that you provide a conducive and safe environment for everybody to participate equally and to feel Right. And that's very important because you can't determine that as a facilitator. You have to get the participants or the team to be the ones that determine whether they feel that they've been included. You mentioned the impact of migration on Europe, the necessity of managing diversity in Europe. What recommendations do you have for Europeans when it comes to managing diversity in order to see it as something that they can embrace? Oh, well, that's not an easy question because on the other hand, you're looking at a continent that is supposed to have better systems for, for inclusion than others. And this is where the problem starts because... For a long time, I think Europe felt that its systems were as inclusive as can be. And so when they have new perspectives, new voices, new personalities entering their space, they are not so sure how to manage that because on the one hand, the policy has been there that whoever comes into our space must conform to our systems, must conform to our values, etc., etc. But the same Europe has entered other spaces and has actually forced its systems, its values, its priorities on their systems. So if anything, most of the world knows how to conform to Europe and it's Europe that doesn't know how to conform to the others. And um, obviously that's quite a, an interesting anomaly. So the first thing obviously is to actually be humble enough to understand that. And I think that is the biggest challenge that our partners in the global north have, that humility to be able to understand that they actually do not know everything and they don't They are not the only ones on this planet and the history of this planet is not pivoted 
from or towards Europe, but should be shared across the continent, including even the new thinking around regenerative futures, It's for, for instance. Some of the thinking within regenerative futures is not new. When you ask us in, 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 in the global south, we will tell you that these are things that we've been grappling with for centuries, things that when colonialization came, we tried to inform them that as you are usurping these countries, understand that there were systems in place that were meant to keep a balance in the system of the earth, in the ecosystem. So that humility becomes the first part. The second part is that Europe has the same responsibility as every other continent to develop systems of trust. Trust is a particularly challenging issue because we have operated for centuries without trust and created systems that we thought were meant to last, but they are not. And we have to get some time to reflect and consider that at what point do we cons- do we not necessarily go back, but think, pause and think for a while that how can we actually continue to engage one another where there has no not been trust and where there continues to not be trust. So just as a start, that would be the first um, aspects of it. But the other aspect of it is to also not be <laughs> hypocritical because on one hand, you can't look at migration in the sense that, oh, they're taking jobs, they're changing cultures, etc., etc. But at the same time, benefiting significantly from migrants who come and do the kind of jobs that Europeans are probably not interested in. Migrants who come and add flavor, may add color, add to the culture that's already existent. So you have to start looking at it from the point of how can diversity actually add value to what is already existing rather than from a point of fear where diversity is seen as something that is disruptive, something that might, you know, change the face of Europe and make Europe not in any in any way what diversity can do is actually modernize Europe and help it to move to the next level. These are, in my opinion, really important thoughts to reflect upon. So thank you for that. And with that said, I think, you know, these are also quite inspiring thoughts. But coming to the last part, Patrick, what inspires you? Well, what, is insp- what inspires me is um, believing that um, after all that has been done, to our continent, to our ancestors, after all that we have done to our countries, to our nations, to our vegetation, to our um, environment, after all that we have done to one another. And in this case, I'm not just looking at the global north and global south. I'm looking at all spheres. Remember when I talked about inequality? I mean, even as I sit here, I'm also privileged in one way or another because I have the opportunity to be on a podcast with you, for instance. This is not something that is common to a number of people that I also fraternize with. So what gives me, what keeps driving me is to actually understand that after all of that, We're still here, which means that we still have an opportunity to make this world a better place. The fact that I'm still here 
tells me that my story is a is not a beginning it's not an end but it's a continuation and it's a continuation of a story of my ancestors and hopefully a story of my descendants so i like to position my place in the world like that as somebody who is passing through having had the opportunity to have people who came before me who saw what they saw did what they could do and survived long enough to uh for me to be here and the obligation is now upon me to do the same but to also pass on knowledge and wisdom to those that will remain so that's um largely what drives me and how to actually make that as more holistic as possible so that it is not just my bloodline on its own but to share human knowledge human existence across humans not just um within a particular set of humans patrick uh, it's a blessing to have had this conversation with you thank you so much for taking the time and i hope to see you very very soon i hope so too i mean we should meet in tunisia i'm sure right yes yes and uh, there's probably going to be um, a podcast special on that too but that's that's just a teaser for now <laughs> all right thank you so much patrick all right no Thanks so much and um yeah talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the GDL Coffee Break podcast. Executive producers are Nele Finzel and Lea Schindler. Audio production by Thomas Reintjes. Visual design by Juli August. Music Brett produced by La Crembo. This is your host Khaldun Asadi and I hope you tune in next time.